This episode of Branching Out is brought to you by Made in America House Cleaning Services and Tarantula Hill Brewing Company. Welcome to Branching Out, a podcast presented by the reporters and editors of the Acorn Newspapers, offering you a closer look at the news in your community. All right, welcome to another edition of Branching Out. It is Monday, August 19th. And uh, I don't know what the COVID situation is going to be then because we are recording this a little bit early, but I can say right now uh, it is not ideal. Um, Cases are going up, um, hospitalizations as well. Talk today of Ventura County possibly putting in a mask mandate. So I'm just hoping when this finally does air, maybe things are better, but uh, we will see uh, in a couple weeks. So really delighted to be joined today uh, by a colleague of mine who we haven't had on the podcast before, and it's a real shame because he is a real professional at this, and you'll understand why I'm saying that in a moment. Uh, But today we are joined by Alex Wilson, who is our new reporter covering all things Camarillo. Uh, Alex, thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm really excited to be on the podcast today. I've been here about six months. I'm really enjoying my time at the Acorn. I have a background in radio and print journalism, and I've been living in Ventura County for most of my life. I was born in Ventura and raised in Ventura, and... uh, we actually got in my family four newspapers a day, every day when I was growing up. We the, got gold, this, the golden years. Yeah. yeah, we got the Star Free Press, we got the Herald Examiner, the LA Times, and the Wall Street Journal. Wow. So I was around newspapers, you know, growing up a lot, and so it probably is what got me hooked on news reporting. Yeah, and if, if people are hearing your voice and recognize it, uh, it's because... For a number of years, you were doing radio with, with KVTA, right? I mean, people would hear your voice uh, almost daily. Yes, I, uh, I was at KVTA for about 21 years wow. until March of 2020, when unfortunately, when all the COVID stuff happened, I, I was laid off. And uh, mm-hmm. my last newscast was a day before my 50th birthday, and I had no idea it would be my last newscast. Wow. But I had the, the week off afterwards. My birthday was on March 13th, which is about the time, as people remember, things were getting a little crazy. Yeah. And I went away on a vacation. I had planned to go on a vacation to Japan, but had been had that was canceled because things seemed weird in Japan at that point. Yeah. So instead, we went to Arizona, where things just got weirder and weirder while we were there. And then when I got back, I found out I'd been furloughed. Well, hey, uh, radio's loss is the the acorn's gain in this case. I, I know you've been just doing some terrific uh, reporting out in Camarillo, a lot of big stories. And you, I mean, it's just you're, uh, for someone that doesn't know you and, and is hearing from you for the first time, I mean, you're just what I would call a newsman, you know, news junkie. You know, you've been doing this, it's been in your blood, seems like you told me since you were a kid, right? Yeah, when I was in the second grade at Pierpont School in Ventura, I got some yellow legal pads, and I just started writing about what was happening at my school. And a lot of times, I'd just be on the playground, and I would go around from the group to group. Whoever was playing hopscotch, I would write that down. Whoever, you know, was having, like, an argument, I'd write that down. Who won the game on the, on the basketball court? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then when I'd get back into class, I would just read it aloud to the, cl- to the class. And my teacher was into it. The class seemed to be into it. They yeah. thought it was entertaining. So I would literally stand up and report on the news from the playground, in the class, in the second grade. So That's that was that, that was my first real reporting experience. Yeah. yeah how, can you, for, for someone who's listening, how, how would you explain the difference between, I mean, I know you, the Acorn isn't your first print job, but um, you did a lot of time in radio. How do the two compare? I mean, you've experienced both of them. I mean, what what do you get out of one versus the other? Well, a lot of the things that you do in journalism are the same. You know, you treat everybody fairly. You, you know, 
you get all the sources that you can and you know have a heart for the community i mean those those things are universal to tv or radio internet and everything you know there's uh print you get to write a lot more you get to get into a lot more detail whereas you know with with radio i would typically be doing five or six stories every day where you know for a newspaper i'm doing five or six stories a week which is still a lot yeah but you know radio is very fast paced it's exciting to be able to just open up a mic or your cell phone and go on the air right away and just describe the scene you know there's a certain amount of excitement to it so Print and radio definitely yeah. both have their advantages, yeah. but I enjoy doing both. Well, hey, it seems like um, just about the time you came through the Acorn Doors has been just, I mean, obviously on top of the pandemic and all the reporting you've done there, it seems that, um, you know, Camarillo, a lot of big stories coming out of there. And we, we had set up this interview weeks ago, and sure enough, right before you came out, big story broke uh, this week uh, having to do with a, an agricultural operation uh really not in Camarillo, but in the Oxnard playing close by. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? I think this is just a, a massive story. Yeah, it really is. It's a big story in Camarillo, but really it's a, a big story for the whole country and especially for the cannabis industry, which is where this is going. There's this huge facility on the Oxnard Plain, Howling's Tomatoes. They've been there for a number of years, and it's a very high-tech operation, and it's a huge warehouse. It's 5.5 million square feet. So it's hard to picture how big that is, yeah. but I mean, you go into this place and it just seems to go on forever. And it's been there for a number of years and it has now it is now being bought by a cannabis company and they're going to grow cannabis there and from what their people tell me, it will be the world's largest cannabis greenhouse. Greenhouse in Ventura County. Ventura County will have I mean, the I mean this largest. is massive because if you think about it, you know, the county had resisted cannabis growing for years and years and years uh, until uh, and they, you know, they did finally allow hemp growing and that came with a bunch of community concerns as well. Um, but they didn't this would not have been legal if not for uh, voters going to the ballot box last year and voting for Measure O. So that's all connected somehow. Yeah. yeah. Yes, vo voters in Ventura County approved Measure O. It won with about 57%, and it allows for commercial cultivation. It does not necessarily allow dispensaries in the county unincorporated areas, which are allowed in some of the cities like Port Wyneme and Thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks. We don't have one, and, but it is uh, yep. And uh, so it doesn't allow dispensaries, but what it did allow was commercial cultivation. But one of the interesting provisions in Measure O was that it only allows people to use facilities like greenhouses and warehouses that already exist. Whereas in other places, like in Santa Barbara County, there are huge greenhouses being built right now in you know, areas with a lot of wineries. And you know, it's a controversial thing on yeah. a lot of different levels. And you know, some people are very in favor of the cannabis industry in Santa Barbara County. It's really taken off. I mean, it's really a, a major cannabis-growing region now. Mm -hmm. Other people, you know, as everybody knows, there's mixed feelings about cannabis and a lot of different opinions. And, you know, but it is becoming more and more mainstream. So this company, Glasshouse, has uh, been growing in the Santa Barbara area for a number of years. And at this point, they're one of the biggest companies. Cannabis companies. Can cannabis yeah. companies. Yeah. And so they just recently started selling stocks on the Canadian, Canadian Stock Exchange. So they are really growing and becoming a highly influential company. Yeah. They own also dispensaries, some in Santa Barbara that have already opened. 
They're soon going to be opening a dispensary in Isla Vista near UCSB and one in the San Ynez Valley. So they're expanding. They describe themselves as vertically integrated, a mm -hmm. company that is growing, selling, distributing, marketing, doing all of these things. And it's really a, quite an operation that they've got going now. And obviously, uh, they're buying this greenhouse and uh, that they're going to really expand their indoor growing capabilities. So uh, obviously, the story first came, um, made, I think, true attention because the idea was that Howlings, the tomato company, basically was closing, right? So they've sold their property and they're closing and they're actually laying off workers, right? I mean, there's a, in the immediate short term, the cost, there's cost of jobs right now. I mean, obviously that could change once Glasshouse comes in, but right now people are out of work, right now? They will be, and they're phasing it out right now. There's this law, the Workers Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act, known as WARN, where we get these notifications sometimes, and sometimes they're attached to agendas for the County Board of Supervisors and things like that. They're just to notify the public when there's a major layoff, layoff yeah, coming. Required, and yeah. this one was obviously big enough because uh, they're talking about 486 workers wow. that will be permanently laid off. And I think it's going on right now, but by the end of September is when they, they say everybody will be laid off. And of course, I'm sure a lot of people hope that these workers will be rehired yeah. in a new company. I mean, yeah. I've been wondering if there's a difference between if you're able to harvest tomatoes and work in the greenhouse, is there any reason you couldn't, you know, stay there and harvest cannabis? I, I don't exactly yeah. know, but yeah. I'm sure some of the people will have the talents and skills to work in the new business. And, and we'll see how that all plays out. And this is kind of speculation, but some people think that this one might make more money and might have more economic you know, benefit for the county than growing tomatoes, I would, which are, I would it's say hard that's to make money fair speculation. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, and yeah, the, the, the industry, the agriculture, industry, I mean, that's, you know, people want, there's a lot of pride in Ventura County in our, and you know, as someone who grew up here, in our agricultural you know, sector, and that what we have in the West County being one of the biggest producers of strawberries, lemons, all these things. And so I think there's people that are going to just be sad to lose someone like that. But financially, you can understand from, that perspective, this has a potential to be an even greater economic driver, right? We'll see. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to to see how how successful this, this facility is at growing cannabis. It's it's going to be big. Yeah, I mean, so we're going to go from you know basically not allowing this to having potentially the largest indoor greenhouse cannabis they said in the world. In the world. In the world. That's what they told me. Um, and so this, I mean, we have. It's hard not to, and and you kind of hinted at this, but it's hard not to look back at Measure O now. And think about that language that said you will you will allow to cultivate cannabis, but only in established greenhouses. And lo and behold, we have the company that had what the largest greenhouse that, and they were a big backer of this of this measure financially. I mean, there was there people were, knew that people there, were aware of that. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely connections between you know the backers of Measure O and mm -hmm. this company, and uh, mm -hmm. certainly the people who have greenhouses that can be converted to cannabis growing are. M many of them are going to do very well. This yeah. particular facility, actually, it, it sold back in 2019 uh, for $71 million, according to the county records. And I don't know if the exact figure that it's selling for this time, but it's going to be north of $100 million. Wow. That glass house is going to pay Howlings for the property. That's what we've heard. And so, and again, and I want to be very clear, these aren't just normal greenhouses. Like you said, this is really high-tech operation. So the idea is it's, 
I think you said before we went on, turnkey ready. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a very high-tech operation that's yeah. there already, and yeah. uh, it'll be retrofitted, and uh, they'll be up and running pretty soon. Now, now, this story just broke, but have you gotten any feeling for the reaction from the community residents? Have you heard, been able to see any, gauge any reaction to this yet? Well, there's been quite a few Facebook posts, yeah. and as you can imagine, there's a wide range of opinions. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying earlier, when there was more hemp being grown around Camarillo, a lot of people were complaining about the smells. And I think there's less hemp being grown, industrial hemp, because I think, as I understand it, the market. Yeah, the supervisors kind of, actually, well, the market's changed and the supervisors restricted yeah, where they some, would allow some, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so obviously, some people are saying, oh my gosh, the, that place is going to stink up the whole county. You know, and other people are saying, well, it's going to be high tech and they'll have all the equipment and they could not smell. Money, yeah. And I talked to supervisor Kelly Long and she said that, you know, the county is going to you know, work with them to mitigate any of the odors or other kind of issues that could happen there. Some people are posting on our Facebook page saying it's going to lead to crime because people are going to break into this place. Um, you know, yeah. I have a feeling they're going to have very high security and it'll be hard to break into. And yeah. even if you wanted to, you know, scoop up as much cannabis as you could <laughs> in your arms, you're not going to be able to I think they're take prepared it all, for this. You know? I mean, what a changing so, world. This is, I mean, for years, the cannabis industry in California was so, you know, in bifurcated and obviously the black market. And now you see these giant corporations. I mean, not exactly Marlboro, but we're talking about country, uh, companies that are sold on the stock exchange. Yeah, like Glasshouse coming, Glass in. coming yeah. in. And it's not just hippies in the hills anymore. It is big business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they grow it. And like you said, they'll grow it and then they'll sell it in their own dispensaries. I mean, wow. So huge yeah. story. If you're looking for professional house cleaners who deliver a consistent, quality job, look no further than Made in America House Cleaning Services. Made in America has a dependable and loyal staff of cleaners who are fully licensed, bonded, and insured to work in your homes, and they even pay workers' comp on all employees, and as I understand it, that's pretty rare. Made in America has been serving the Greater Conejo Valley for over 30 years, and owner Paul Lopez has been a resident of Thousand Oaks since 1977. When you call Made in America, you know you're dealing with a professional company that is deeply rooted in the community it serves. Paul has been a member of the Kiwanis Club since 2015, and he loves giving back to the community and serving through the Meals on Wheels program. So when you support Made in America, you're supporting these programs. Uh, Made in America takes cleanliness seriously and adheres to a strict COVID protocol to keep customers and employees safe. For a free house cleaning estimate, call Paul today at 805-499-7259 or find them on the web at madeinamericaonline.com. That's Made in America, M-A-I-D. This podcast is sponsored by Torrential Hill Brewing Company, which led me to wonder, Ian, what's your favorite beer to have at Torrential Hill? You know, the one that well, I like. mine actually is the Liquid Candy IPA, one of many great beers you can have at Torrential Hill Brewing Company. They're locally owned and operated. They're located right off the 101 freeway in Thousand Oaks at Moore Park Road. Um, more than beer, they've got amazing food, delicious ice cream, tons of big screen TVs, and just a great place where we like to hang out right in after we're done with uh, part been, of the podcast. We've been there a couple times. Okay, I, yeah, and it's also it's kid and dog friendly. Um, they have a ton of special events coming up. Uh, Ali and John are just excited to see everyone's faces again, so please check them out. 244 East Thousand Oaks Boulevard. Please let them know Branching Out sent you. Ian, anything to add? No? Okay. And you can find them online at TarantulaHillBrewingCo.com. Whether you want some drinks with friends or ice cream with family, you can't avoid a good time at Tarantula Hill.
one of the issues I think you've just been doing terrific reporting on just surrounds uh, the Camarillo Airport, uh, which is a fascinating facility. I, you know a lot about it more than me, um, but it most recently came up uh, with a story having to do with Amazon. But maybe you can talk about, sounds like you've been learning a lot or you know a lot, just about the history of the Camarillo Airport and how it came to be. And maybe you can take us through that to understand how we got where we are today. Right. Well, I've been, you know, covering Ventura County for, you know, 25 years. And on many stories that didn't necessarily have anything to do with airplanes, I've been at the Camarillo Airport because there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on. There's several schools there. The Sheriff's Department has a gun range there. The Parks District has extensive facilities there, baseball fields and BMX tracks. There are, you know, so many things going on. The fire department has extensive facilities yeah, there. Yeah, there's an academy for training officers. Yeah, I know. all yeah. kinds of stuff yeah. there. And, you, you know, you every time you go there, you're like, wow, there's something that I didn't even know about <laughs> that's there. And yeah. so it's an interesting place. Yeah. Um, and uh, so part of the reason why there is so much stuff there is because it was actually an Air Force base for a number of years. Huh. It was actually established back in 1942, and initially, it was going to be just for small planes, and they had a 5,000-foot runway. But then by around 1951, the Oxnard Air Force Base was established there. They extended the length of the runway so that they could have you know, large military planes landing there. And so they extended the, airport, the uh, runway to 8,000 feet, and that Air, air Force Base was you know, in operation for a number of years. And as I understand it, this is before my time because it actually closed in 1970, which was the year that I was born. But these airplanes were big. And yeah. people who were in Camarillo at that time, they talk about windows rattling, even, you know, furniture falling over. Maybe like they were exaggerating a little bit, but not not really. Yeah. You know, you have the giant air, military airplane over your head. It's definitely going to be loud. So I think that that's part of the reason why there's a lot of concern about having larger airplanes yeah. at the Camarillo airport. Yeah, because what a lot of this goes back to an agreement that was reached right right after the county took it over, a short time after the county took it over from the military. What was so after yeah. the military decided yeah. to move out, Ventura County government took over the airport, and there was uh, a lot of concern among the people in Camarillo at that time that they didn't want you know giant airplanes. They remembered the military airplanes, and they didn't want to see that happen again. So the county and the city reached an agreement in 1976 that's been talked about a lot recently. And basically, the 76 agreement limits the size of the aircraft that can land there. And uh, 115,000 pounds is the limit. And that's, okay. that's considerably smaller than like a 737, which might be 180 plus thousand okay. pounds. Yeah. But still, 115 is pretty big. I mean, you're talking about pretty big business jets that are using the airport right now. So... This 1976 agreement has been in place all this time, but it is outdated in some ways. And I mean, when I look at this agreement, it looks like it was uh, typed with an old-fashioned typewriter and, you know, <laughs> copied on a mimeograph machine, you know, it, and <laughs> some of the language is really weird. And, you know, it talks about, you know, aviation boards that haven't existed in 20 years. Yeah. And I mean, it's clear just from a cursory reading that there are things in this agreement that are outdated. Yes. And uh, so... The county has to do a master plan for the airport every 10 years or so. It's an FAA requirement okay. where they have to update their master plan and make sure that you know everything is in place. And it's a requirement. So they started to go down this master planning process earlier this year. 
And of course, this was during COVID and, you know, these were virtual meetings that were being set up and everything. But one of these uh, meetings drew a huge crowd virtually of people who were concerned about airport expansion, about, yeah. you know, ha allowing commercial flights or allowing cargo jets. And so this was potentially that first step towards slippery slope. A lot slope. of people yeah. thought that. Right. Yeah. And they, the county hired a consultant. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about that this meeting was not well run. What a lot of people said was it felt like the questions that were being asked were like leading questions that were trying to make people say, yes, we want economic development. You know, yes, we want jobs. But people really don't want jobs if it means giant huge airplanes flying over their <laughs> yeah, house yeah, you know yeah. if you ask it that way it's like do you want you know yeah. giant cargo jet jets yeah. over your house no do you do you like economic development well sure who doesn't you know so it, this meeting really did not go over very well and it does then, not sound like it yeah. and then uh the county actually put the process on hold because there was like outrage about this meeting and where people thought the direction was going to go and so Part of this whole thing, you know, the 1976 agreement, you know, got caught up in this discussion because yeah. people were pointing it to it and saying, you know, we don't want these airplanes. And then the the elephant in the room really is Amazon. Okay. As everyone knows, Amazon has been expanding rapidly in Ventura County. They have a huge new fulfillment center going up in Oxnard, which is actually not that far from the airport. When you're on the airport property on the runway, you can see that facility. It's like almost just, it's so big that you can just- I call, I call it, it the Pentagon. I've talked about it often. I mean, yeah. if you haven't driven by it, um, you cannot miss it. I mean, it just looks like it goes on forever. Yeah. And Amazon has been really stepping up their air cargo. It's, it's happening everywhere. They are, you know, buying planes and they're getting really into the air cargo business. Okay. And so it's it's very easy, you know, for me to see why a lot of people would... Or trying to connect um, the dots. Yeah, right? and would look at Amazon and, you know, you know, people have different thoughts about Amazon. We probably all order stuff from them. But at the same time, everyone is kind of afraid of them in the same well, way. Well, they're so big, they're I so think. Big. I saw a story come out this week that said something like one in 10 Americans now work for Amazon. Mm. I mean, they've... Yeah, know, it's just, So, you know, whether or not they're ever going to land planes at Camarillo, I understand why people have these fears. Whether or not they're founded, so far, I don't know. You went, Doug, I was going to say, you went digging into this. Tell us, yeah, you tried to find, could you see anything that could connect the city or the airport to Amazon, right? Well, we looked into it. Yeah. I actually filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the airport department, and they got back to me pretty promptly with that. And what may have fueled some of the rumors about Amazon is that Amazon did have an agreement with the airport but it wasn't about aviation. It was to park vans overnight. So this was uh, about a year and a half ago. They started to inquire with the airport department. And then, like I say, the airport has land and they have parking lots and things like that. So they had and they, they were leasing, you know, land to different people. So they got into this agreement uh, with Amazon just to keep to, their vans, to keep the vans yeah. there overnight. And then the vans went off and did deliveries in the daytime. Yeah. So, you know, there's some truth to the rumor that the Amazon and the airport did have an agreement, yeah. but it was about vans <laughs> nothing and had nothing to do with airplanes. Yeah. And I, you know, tried to get in touch with Amazon. They're not the more, most forthcoming uh, company. You know, you go on their media page, there's no phone number, <laughs> but, you know, there's an email address. They make and, their website so easy to use, but suddenly with their <laughs> suddenly, PR department. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, they did get back to me that day. So, yeah. I mean, I give them some okay. credit. Yeah. Um, and I asked them, you know, what's, what's going on with these rumors about the cargo jets at Camry Airport? Mm. And the email I got back, I think, was about five or six words long. It basically said, 
those are just rumors. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the Amazon position. Yeah. And I can't say that, you know, in the future that they w will have a different position, yeah. but that's, that's Amazon's position right now is that these are only rumors. Now, part of the reason people are, another thing adding to some of this consternation was they, the airport recently did do a deal, right, though, to, to put in some new hangars um, owned by a private company that were going to allow a little bit larger size business jets. What's the, what's the story there? Yeah, not exactly larger size, yeah. but uh, it's, it's related in that it's controversial also. This mm -hmm. is a project called uh, Cloud9, and what it is is it's luxury hangars. And uh, these hangars are, you know, going to be very high end. Each one is about twenty-five thousand square feet, and then they'll have five thousand square, square feet of office space. So it'll be like really luxurious. And this who uses who's who's the customer? We yeah. don't know exactly, yeah. but these are large corporations in mm -hmm. all likelihood, and mm -hmm. I don't know names of them. Yeah. But one thing I have been told is that two of the corporations that will be moving into Cloud9 when it opens in about a year or so are already flying out of Camaray Airport. Okay. So it's not that there will be new jets that aren't at the airport coming and staying in these hangars. It's just that they'll be moving from one hangar to a more luxurious, yeah. nicer hangar. Yeah. And part of the thing I understand um, from learning about airports is that some hangars are shared. So to get your airplane out, they have to like push the other airplanes out of the way, and it's a hassle. And if you're the type of company that can afford a $100 million airplane, you might just want to have your own hangar for it. And that's the that's the kind of, you know, per, kind of people yeah. that they're marketing to. Yeah. But even the reaction to that shows you, and I think like you said, it all goes back to those original concerns maybe the original residents had, how much the community seems really on edge that they do not want larger planes going in there. Of right, yeah. and when they did the environmental studies for the Cloud9 facility, the FAA required that they study certain sized airplanes, the okay. ones that would be theoretically the biggest ones that you could have there. Yeah. And you know, so they had to study the idea of having 737s in their facility. They had to study it, even though they say that they never planned on having planes that big. Yeah. And a plane that big would be violating the 1976 agreement. Yeah. And so when I went out there to do a story about the construction beginning, you know, they reassured me. They said, you know, our hangars are not tall enough for a 737. Yeah. You know, they, they're just, they, the tail wouldn't fit, you know, and so they're not coming. So they wanted to debunk that, you know. And now that you see them, you can kind of tell that. They're not quite out of the ground yet. Okay. But the pictures show you, you know, the hangars won't be big enough for a 737. For, for, for I mean, 737. some pretty big planes will, yeah. will fit in there. But not, but not the kind you see coming into LAX. Yeah. Got it, got it. Well, while we're talking about the airport, um, I saw more, we're talking about large corporations a lot today, Amazon. But you did a story about a smaller business that operates out of the uh, the airport that I thought was really interesting. Can you share a little bit about that? And they're, they're actually going, they're out of it. They're going out of business. Well, they're not going out of business. Okay. I want to say that okay. first off. Yeah. It's a very interesting company okay. called Channel Islands Aviation. And they've been in business since 1976, and they uh, they run a flight school at, at the airport, they sell fuel, they have jet charters. So they're a pretty big aviation business. They okay. do a lot of stuff. In fact, they were the very first FBO, which is a, an acronym that stands for Fixed Base Operator. That's something that you have at airports. It's basically like filling stations, repairs flight instructions, things like that, you know, servicing people with airplanes. So they were actually the first one at Camarillo Airport in 1976. 
and they're still operating, you know, as an FBO. The really interesting and somewhat bittersweet thing is that they had a service where they provided air service to the Channel Islands since their founding in 1976. And when you go back to 1976, this is long before the Park Service was, was here, and uh, the islands were mostly owned by private ranching families who had been there oftentimes for hundreds of years out there with cattle operations on Santa Rosa and sheep on Santa Cruz. And so the airplanes were mostly servicing these ranches, and the ranches had hunting operations, profitable hunting operations. Uh, there, were, there were beautiful deer and elk that had been imported from other parts of the country out to Santa Rosa Island for the purpose of hunting. So these hunters paid thousands and thousands of dollars to spend you know, a week out there wow. in this amazingly beautiful place hunting. So these were some of the customers that they had for a long time. There were some private businesses out there too that they supported. But then over the years, after the Park Service took over, you know, there just was less and less demand for this air service. So at one point, they said that there were about 1,000 customers a year flying their planes. They had four of these airplanes and six pilots. And these are very special airplanes. You can't just fly any Cessna out there because the landing strips on the islands are dirt and they're rough and there's wind, and they're very challenging in a lot of ways. So you need a very special aircraft. Do, not, like do a, not sign me up. It's like a 4 by 4 <laughs> plane yeah, or something yeah, that yeah. can land in the dirt. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a very specialized thing that, yeah, that they've niche. been doing all these yeah. years. But so then the, when the Park Service came in, you know, the business declined, and uh, now the, uh, the owner of the business is the only person who's flying was flying these trips. The last one was on July 31st. And so they were down to one pilot and, you know, not making money at it. And he wanted to retire. He was in his 70s. And he just said, you know, it's very bittersweet. I'm sad to see it. I know that this was an important, you know, service to the islands. But, you know, it's just it's got to go away. The Park Service, uh, you know, does want airplane service to come back. But it's just, you know, going to be very difficult to find an operator who can do it profitably. Profitably, because I, yeah, that point is that scientists that do research out there—that's would be. I mean, there would be someone who potentially would use it or take it. Yeah, you know, and it's it's hard. The the further out islands, mm-hmm. you know, are a challenge to get to. San Miguel, which is a beautiful island to visit, but it takes you know a five-hour boat ride to get out there. So you know that's hard for a lot of people, and it's a rough ride. Yeah. So you know, the scientists in the Park Service, you know, relied on these airplanes, uh, you know, to a to a large degree, especially for these outer islands, and so it it is going to be a, a change and, you know, difficult for the Park Service to not have air service out there anymore. Fascinating. So uh, before I let you go, um, I was really struck uh, by a story, and you shared it with me today, that, that you did recently uh, that I think speaks to local journalism and, and the acorn, what we're all about. And um, I hope you can you share a little bit about that story that you wrote. It just had to do with, and it came out of just a city council meeting you were covering. Yeah, well, it has to do with bus fares. And, yeah. you know, as a reporter. Exciting stuff. Well, yeah. yeah, as a reporter, it's kind of a typical thing you would you would cover, you know, to let the community know bus fares are going up. It's probably something I've covered before, but probably forgot about it because <laughs> at the time it didn't, you know, of course it impacts people. Of course. But, yeah. you know. Just not something that. It didn't really, you know, they don't always stand out. If yeah. it's if it's a, you know, 25 cent hike, you know, most people won't feel it. So, but this one was a little different. Uh, it was partly because the city had not raised rates at all since they had formed their bus system about 20 years ago. So it may have been better if they had incrementally hiked the rates over yeah. time. But what they ended up doing on May 26th 
is they hiked some of the rates very significantly. And for example, the biggest one was a monthly pass for disabled and senior citizen riders went up from $25 to $80 a month, which is an increase of 220%. And uh, so that's a really big increase. I probably had you looking up out of your notepad or wherever yeah, you were. Yeah, and, and at the time I was thinking, gosh, where are all the people? I mean, I would have thought people would be up in arms, but there, there weren't any public speakers at the meeting that night, which was unfortunate. Unfortunate for them and fortunate for me as a reporter because I, I would have liked to have yeah. talked to them. Yeah. I certainly would have quoted them if they had been there, yeah. but nobody was there. So I ended up writing the story um, about the, the fare increase. And then at the, at the following meetings, people who were really impacted started coming and saying, you know, this is really a big deal. I'm really impacted. I'm on a limited budget. I need this dial-a-ride service. And a lot of this, these buses aren't just you go and take a bus and pick it up at the bus stop. These are buses that come to your house and take you from point A to point B because you know, you're in a wheelchair, or you can't get to the bus stops, or things like that. And so we had a couple of people who have been coming to, to every meeting since then to, to talk about this issue. Uh, Betsy Artuso, she's lived in Camarillo since she was three years old, and she has MS. And so she's in a wheelchair, and she has mobility issues. And she stopped driving in 2013. And since, this since that time, she's been relying on these bus passes to shop, to visit her family on the other side of town. She volunteers at a hospice. And so this is her mode of transportation. And unfortunately, she was laid off from a job a few years ago. And she told me her husband had also been laid off. Uh, and fortunately, he got a new job recently. But finances have been tight for yeah. them. So it's a big deal. You know, so some people, whatever, fifty more dollars a month right, know, right. might not seem like a lot, but yeah. you found people where it did. Yeah, yeah. So she and Richard Figueroa Brajas have been coming to every meeting, and he's a disabled veteran who, you know, has a, had a traumatic brain injury and PTSD from you know being in combat zones, and so, you know, it, it's a compelling yeah. thing to talk about these people that you know really rely on the service and were really you know hurt by the, these going up. Any sign that the city is going to change its tune on this? Or well, I mean, it seems like a PR Yeah, nightmare. not really. So yeah. ever since I wrote this feature about them, there's been even you know more people coming to the city council meeting to support them. Uh, psychologists, different people who you know work with you know disabled people, you know, asking the council. To, to change their minds and to, to reduce it. But, uh, and there's a petition going around and things like that. But then, you know, as this kind of gained more traction and more people were showing up at the, at the meetings, the city council did put out another news release at the end of last month, basically saying we had to do this because fares hadn't gone up in so long. There are certain laws that talk about how much money has to be re returned, you know, from the fare bo box yeah. to get certain you know, funding, and they just said it, it, we didn't have any choice. Well. So in in my view right now, it does not look like the city is going to budge on this. I mean, I can't. I don't have a crystal ball. I get it. If the pressure keeps going on, maybe they can rejigger it, but it doesn't mm -hmm. look like they, they will at this point. But, you know, an, an interesting thing about this whole story is that after we did it, you know, after we featured these people and their plight, I got emails in my in my box and phone calls saying, we want to help. Where do I send the check? 
I want to buy their bus pass. And this was not just from a couple of people. This was from many people who were, you know, deeply moved by the story and mm. by hearing about, you know, what these people were going through mm. and wanted to step up and, like, buy the bus passes for them. That's awesome. And it was just kind awesome. of, it was kind of heartwarming. And yeah. it really, it, like you were saying, it really makes me feel that I'm, you know, a community journalist in Camarillo and that people are reading, you know, what I'm writing and, and it's making an impact and it's making people feel, yeah. feel emotions, you know, towards other people in their community and even want to reach out and help and write a check. That's and awesome. it's just, you know. Well, that, I mean, the people, I guess it's a little cliche, but they say, you know, why we do this kind of work uh, for the pay that we get. And uh, it's, it's stories that you're sharing right there. I mean, you can't put a price tag on. That's so special. And what it means to those people, you know, and, and how great it will be for you to tell Richard and Betsy that this is coming in. Are they aware? Do they know they're getting this kind of support? Have they, you know? We just got some of the checks the other day, wow. and I haven't been in touch with them yet. So, <laughs> if, gonna... if they listen to this, if they listen to this podcast, they're they holding might them. Learn, they're good. Kids. They might learn that there have a couple of checks coming their way. But oh, that's terrific. Yeah, I'm gonna get them get them the checks as soon as I can. Well, I'm thrilled you've been part of our family here, and Alex, and I think you're doing a, a bang up job in, job in Camarillo. I would encourage anyone who's uh, out there in our audience from Camarillo make sure that you're, you know, going to the Camarillo Acorn website, seeing all of Alex's reporting. Um, we'll drop your Twitter Twitter bio in as well so people can follow you. Um, and if they have story ideas, I'm sure you'll be open t to the next one. Um, but really want to just say thank you for gracing, uh, branching out with your presence. I was I didn't know if it was beneath you <laughs> with your radio Not chops. Not at all, um, no, but no. We, we, I really enjoy being on here, and I will yeah. be on again. And Definitely. I'll, and I'm really, I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for having me on today. And I'm excited about future opportunities with this podcast. We'll definitely have you coming back. All right. Thanks, Alex. Branching Out is hosted by Kyle Jory and Ian Bradley, who also serves as the show's engineer and editor. The show is produced by Allison Montroy and associate producer David D.L. Lopez. It is a product of the Acorn Newspapers. <laughs>